This is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. I'm Don Felker, and I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to episode number one. So Kaushik, um, why don't you tell us about kind of why we started this podcast and how it came to be? Yeah, sure. So I've actually written a blog post about this where I go into the details, and I'll make sure I add that to the show notes. But in a gist, it boils down to two things. The first thing is there simply aren't enough Android developer podcasts out there. I mean, I personally love listening to podcasts. I mean, it helps get menial tasks for the day done. I've noticed when I'm driving in a car, my road rage is also decreased because <laughs> <laughs> I have something to listen to. And it's it's nice to know that you can just like go ahead and get stuff done and at the same time, you know, become a better developer, learn new stuff. So I love listening to podcasts. And I guess when I was listening to a podcast the other day, I was like, why aren't there enough Android developer podcasts, right? I mean, I want to become an Android developer. So like, why aren't there enough podcasts of that? There is one podcast uh, that definitely needs a mention, which is Android Developers Backstage. And that's hosted by Chet Haas and Tor Nubi. But the thing is, it gives a very unique perspective because it's from the mothership, right? I mean, it's like both of them are developers who work on Android in Google. So it gives a very unique perspective. I thought it would be nice to also sort of try to get the perspective of people who are outside uh, Google and see what the other Android developers around are doing. So that was like one of the primary reasons. We also went around and actually asked uh, people if they would be interested in something like this. I mean, is there actually really an interest for this? And I think we've got like pretty positive feedback, right? I mean, the people that I've asked, at least like most of them have said, yeah, this is definitely something that they would be interested in. And finally, it's just a chance to hear amazing developers, right? I mean, I always think like if I did want to go and have coffee with one of these Android developers, what would it be like? Like even if you want to find great content today uh, from Android developers, like you'd have to like look at conference talks, blog posts and these kind of things. And most of the time it's like pretty tightly curated, the content, like there isn't sort of a free form exchange or a conversation. So I thought this would be a nice chance. And also, yeah, I mean, I get to speak to Don Felker. So that was another reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, Kaushik. I, I agree with uh, everything you said that there is not really any great independent Android developer podcasts out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, a colleague of mine, uh, Joe and I, had started a Android developer podcast. And unfortunately, due to uh, families and just conflicting schedules, it, things just didn't work out where we could get a consistent uh, episode release schedule going. And we kind of just shut it down after a couple of episodes. So uh, I'm excited to kind of get back into this space. Uh, we have a lot of stuff where we can talk about. Uh, and like you said, you asked a lot of people if they'd be interested in And there's a lot of interest out there. And even at our local GDG, we talk about at the user group locally here in uh, in Arizona. We'll talk about where and kind of what we're learning from. And a lot of it kind of comes back to the podcast at the Android developers backstage stuff. Uh, but also a lot of people uh, talk to uh, talk about, they wish they had other ones, other Android developer podcasts they could listen to. So uh, I'm completely on board with you here, uh, just all the way down to the menial tasks of doing the dishes, uh, <laughs> to driving, keeping the road rage down, everything that helps the time pass. Uh, and I'm much, as much as I'd like to, uh, say I like to sit back and relax a lot. I don't. I like to take advantage of every free moment that I have. And usually that means if I'm doing something where I can listen to a podcast, I will. I'd rather be learning and expanding my mind at the same time. So that's uh, that's kind of why we started this podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd like to say thanks to, to Kaushik for reaching out to me uh, to see if I would be interested in, in moving forward with this. And um, we decided to be a great fit. So we'll see where, where the show takes us. 
Yeah. So I, I think um, it might be good to talk a little bit about who we are for those of, those of you who aren't familiar with either of us. Um, I'll go first. My name's, again, Don Felker. Uh, my background, I've been developing Android since 2008 or nine when the first G1 device came out. That's the first Android device. Uh, since then, I did a lot of speaking at code camps and conferences, and eventually that led to uh, writing some books. Uh, so far, I've been involved in four Android books, uh, namely Android Application Development for Dummies, uh, tablet application development for dummies, uh, and another one with a co-author, Mike Wolfson, uh, here in Arizona. Uh, I wrote a chapter for him as well. Uh, on top of that, I also run a website called AndroidJobs.io, uh, so it helps Android developers find jobs or helps companies hire great Android developers. Uh, I'm a co-organizer of the Phoenix Android PHX uh, GDG, which is the Google Developers Group here in Arizona, uh, and I have consulted for many different uh, companies in the Silicon Valley, uh, including uh, Groupon, MyFitnessPal, Points, uh, Eventbrite, and many other ones as well. Um, so that's kind of, a, in a nutshell, uh, who I am. Uh, let's hear a little bit about you, Kaushik. Yeah, sure. So uh, I've basically been working with Android for the last uh, one and a half years. So that kind of makes me a noob compared to you. But I've been programming all my life, though. So before I jumped onto Android, I essentially was, I mean, I've done a lot of enterprise Java development. After that, I was a Ruby on Rails developer for some time. So I've worked with programming all my life. And I'm always sort of like trying to look and translate those learnings that I got, like the good software practices that I had from my web development days uh, to Android. So I'm, yeah, I, I would say I'm relatively a noob. Uh, and that and it's perfect, right? I mean, you got a noob, you got a dummy, and then we have the guy who wrote the book for <laughs> Android uh, development for dummies. So that's there. Uh, I currently work at a startup in the Bay Area. We are called Wedding Party. So definitely check us out if you're getting married or you know someone who is. Uh, we build possibly the best app for the wedding. So do check us out. It's weddingpartyapp.com. Most of like the technical blog posts that I've written regarding Android is basically at our technical blog there. It's called nerds.weddingpartyapp.com. That's about it. I mean, I've been an Android developer for the past one and a half years, and I'm really enjoying it. And yeah, I have a lot of questions. Don't let Kaushik fool you. Uh, he's, uh, <laughs> he's very intelligent. Read the blog post. He's got a lot of great stuff about uh, RxJava. Um, it's funny. I actually read some of his blog posts um, while before we even knew each other uh, as kind of doing some research. Uh, for the current project I'm on at Point, uh, trying to implement some RX Java stuff there and uh, stumbled upon his blog post. So he, he definitely knows what he's talking about, so don't let him fool you there. So. <laughs> You're a good man, Don. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about the structure of the, of the podcast. Do you want to talk about that a little bit first, Kaushik? Yeah, sure. So I was thinking like this podcast, we could essentially have like a main theme for each uh, episode of the podcast. So like Don and I could go back and forth and have a discussion about like a central theme towards uh, each episode. After that, we'll also try to bring in more Android developers from the community. I mean, the community has like some amazing Android developers and that's part of the thing. Like we don't get to hear from them enough. So we're going to try to bring in some of the Android developers for interviews and uh, as such. We'll wind up the show with basically recommendations or awesome picks for the show. Like we'll sort of like towards the end of every show, Don and I will sort of like put something out there that we feel would I'm either nerdy, inspirational stuff, not necessarily related to Android, but it's just something that if you did talk to another Android developer, like what would be something that she or he would recommend, right? So we'll try to wind it up with those kind of picks. We're going to shoot to keep 
each episode at about uh, 30 minutes so it doesn't stretch out for too long i mean we respect our listeners time so definitely that's going to be something we're going to try to shoot for uh and every other week we're going to try to release an episode and we're going to try to keep our consistency there then again i mean both of us are believers of the agile sort of way of working so if we have to change the structure or we think there's some or like we get feedback and suggestions from our listeners on how to improve the show with the structure then we go ahead with that yeah i definitely agree and i think it's important to note that this being the first show uh, we'll probably run uh, a little bit over just because of the introductions and kind of talking about mm-hmm. the podcast a little bit so uh, if this one runs over a little bit uh, 30 minutes we'll be back on we're going to try to be back on schedule uh, here in the next couple of weeks so uh, that's that sounds great and i think the this the structure uh, is is a great one and i'm really interested to to talk to a lot of the Android developers that you and I both know on a personal basis and get them on the show. Mm-hmm. We both know between both both of us uh, in our time in the Valley that we have some amazing people that we can talk to and uh, talk about some of the amazing things that they've done and some of the tr- tips and tricks that they've done inside of their applications uh, that are possibly in the top you know free category or the top paid category on Google Play. There's a lot of interesting things to be learned from uh, a lot of developers out there. So hopefully we'll be able to expose everyone to more good stuff. So let's go ahead and hop into the topic for this week. The, hop- the topic for this week that uh, Kaushik and I wanted to discuss was uh, testing. And uh, basically, testing in Android is uh, something that isn't really talked about a lot. It's what a lot of people would like to do. Uh, it's what a lot of developers say, well, yeah, when I get some time, maybe I'll try to develop that. And let's be 100% <laughs> honest, uh, and I'll be honest with you. I am not the most thorough Android tester in the world. Uh, I would like to say that I am, but I'm not. Uh, And mainly that is because uh, a lot of times when you work with startups uh, and you're writing Android applications, uh, you actually need to get the app done. You have a deadline, you have a a trade show you're going to, and you need to get the app written and you need to get it out. And testing unfortunately comes as an afterthought. Um, And unfortunately, early on even with Android, uh, testing is very slow. Uh, testing was was hard to work with and so forth. So uh, we're going to talk about testing, some of the tools, the benefits, uh, some of the tips and tricks that we've learned uh, and, and so forth. And, and, and that's what we're going to talk about in this section. Yeah. I want to start, I mean, you you put it really well. Like, I mean, that's basically how like the thought process that goes even for me today. But when I started out with Android development, I particularly was like super frustrated about the platform. And this is mostly because I jumped in from Ruby on Rails. And I mean, for those who have developed on Rails, uh, there's, uh, and Ruby for that matter, there's this framework, testing framework called RSpec. And you said that uh, we all do want to write tests, right? But the question is, the reason people usually don't write tests is also because the tools don't enable it, right? I mean, if if the tools aren't easy enough for you to like jump in and write tests easily, then that, I mean, my understanding of this whole thing changed when I started working with RSpec. RSpec was just so easy to work with. I mean, it was simple. It was clear. I knew how to like swoop in, write my tests, and then like uh, come out of the code feeling happy, right? When I when I started with Android uh, development, there was nothing like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> and one more thing. Right now, the listeners, go to GitHub and look for all the famous Android repositories that you've seen. How many of them, <laughs> how many of them actually have like a full-fledged, a full suite of tests, right? That was also another thing. Like when I started, I wanted like, okay, why won't someone just show me a good app that basically has like a simple to-do kind of 
thing going on and then good tests written for it even like so i don't know about you don but like usually when i have to like look at sort of sample repositories or like repositories that we use sort of as a reference that has like good code so one of the apps uh, that i constantly look at is the google io app they usually release it as uh, an open source application uh, and it, right now even to this day i just checked before we started the show uh, they don't have tests in there and so that no that that basically shows like like you said testing seems to always be like an afterthought it, it isn't like the primary focus and that was something that always sort of like ate away it doesn't help that none of the, the I mean, even like the the tools that are provided by google there are a bunch of them and there doesn't just seem to be like a canonical way of doing it so i've always been very i've had like extreme anxiety over this <laughs> yeah i think what you said is there's no open source projects out there and when i started developing android uh, i'll be honest uh, and i don't think i've ever said this even in public at all to anybody is it when i learned android uh, i hadn't touched java in about four to six years um and mm. when i learned it i grabbed uh, i think it's joe lapena and if if i butchered your name i'm sorry um <laughs> he wrote the Foursquare application and it was open source at the time. And wow. I was actually able to pull the full uh, source code for the Foursquare app down and, and, and learn from it. And that's the, that's where I learned Android is was inside of that app. And of course it's through the basic, uh, you know, just kind of tinkering around and building small things. But that was like the first app that I was able to look at the code and say, Hey, this is something out there in a the while that people are using. How did they do it? And inside of that code base uh, at the time, there wasn't any tests. Uh, when I downloaded it, and there probably is now, but right. uh, it's the same thing that, that you said, is that there's nothing there that I could reference to see how to do things. And in other platforms like Rails uh, and like Node and, and a lot of JavaScript frameworks, there's uh, there's heavy testing. And there's you know if you read a lot of blogs about testing and continuous integration, you have the various different types of testing that you can perform, like unit testing, mm -hmm. uh, integration testing, UI testing, and they all have their different benefits. Um, you know, and for like the unit testing, uh, you shouldn't be hitting the network, you shouldn't be hitting the database, it should be very fast, you should be able to execute them all in just a couple of seconds. Uh, and that's just not the case with Android. And I think that um, a lot of people have some frustrations with that. And so I think it's important to to talk about what maybe it's, it, there are some bad things about Android testing that, you know, it's slow, it's hard to learn. But I think there's also some benefits that we probably should talk about in regards to, to testing. And, and I'll just kind of hop into that and one of those is, is regression testing. And this is kind of probably the most common type of testing that you're going to see. Mm -hmm. And it's something I usually like to call as like accidental regression testing. Mm -hmm, nice. It's because you write some code, you, uh, you test it on, you know, it works on my device. Mm -hmm. And then you, you hand it off to, uh, you know, to the, you know, the, the project stakeholder or whoever's using, you know, whoever's going to be shipping the app or you, you ship it even to the customers and all of a sudden it doesn't work for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah been there <laughs> exactly it doesn't work and you don't know why and this could be um it's a, maybe it works on your nexus 5 and it works on your nexus 4 and, and your moto x and whatever but for some reason it doesn't work on this one weird trivial phone that you can only buy on the east coast of the united states or maybe even overseas uh you know and that kind of is some of the inspiration for the name of the podcast fragmented mm -hmm. um so it's very hard that's the regression testing but proper regression testing would happen with you know, if you had a team that you you know, make some simple code change and you check it in and you make sure it still works. So right. um, 
these tests over time start acting as a harness uh, to make sure you don't break stuff. And a lot of regression testing uh, still to this day mm-hmm. is done with just simple test plans, even written inside of uh, Google Docs or uh, you know a spreadsheet of some sort. Um, right. So regression testing is a big one uh, that you'll see a lot of companies do. And this is probably the most common because developers a lot of times don't have time to write uh, the test yeah. because they're trying to ship working code. I just wanted to add in one more point. Like, so yeah. another strategy that some uh, companies that I know actually do is basically they have like uh, five people who are basically their only job is to sort of like QA the application, right? Like they employ five people who sit there and their only job is to sort of like test the application that the developers release. I'm not saying this is a bad strategy, but the the thing is like if you work at a startup or like you work at a uh, at a company where you aren't yet at that scale, this is just not a feasible option, right? So as much as possible, you want to have like your tests automated. You want to have like an automated suite of tests that you can just like run every time and then bam, keep pushing like forward, right? The pace is really fast. And for that, probably the only sensible way to do it is like with automated tests. And that's where like another aspect of the whole progression testing comes in. Exactly, yeah. And it, at my one of my clients right now, my fitness pal, uh, when I helped join them, they were under, I think they were under 20 people on staff uh, before they had received funding. And so this is the classic example of a bootstrap company with basically one, actually at that time they had just brought on their first uh, Android people. Before that it was uh, overseas. And mm-hmm. they luckily they had one guy that was doing QA, but he did QA for everything. He was really good. He, he was really diligent about what he did, but he's definitely uh, stretched beyond his means. And so just having that one guy was great. But you're right, most of the time you don't even have this one person. So a repeatable test suite does make it a lot better. And so, and what we mean by repeatable test suite is something that you can, you know, you write a unit test of some sort in, uh, in the language that you choose or in the test framework that you choose. And then you can continually execute it in an automated fashion, either uh, just locally or on a continuous integration environment. So I think that's, uh, yeah. that, that's very important. Another benefit I've found uh, to testing at least, and this is actually more uh, towards TDD, which we'll try to touch uh, at some point later. Uh, One benefit I've found with testing is that assuming you're dealing with like a concept that's like super complex, right? Sometimes I remember watching uh, this YouTube video and I'll make sure I'll uh, I'll add that to the show notes as well. This is about Kent Beck. Kent Beck is like uh, considered one of the best uh, software developers out there. He's He's one of the proponents of TDD. I think he even coined the term, maybe. I, I might be getting the details wrong there. but uh, So he basically says the reason he came up with TDD was not because he thought testing was a virtue or it, it was nice or it was the good thing to do. It was he needed that. He needed those small tests to sort of enable him to understand the larger com- concept, right? So if you have like this huge, massive sort of requirement in front of you, then where do you start? It becomes really difficult to start. So that was his approach. He was like, okay, I'm going to take the smallest possible concept that I can think of like uh, in this big chunk. I'm going to write a test for it. I'm going to like write the code for it. Great, it passes. So I'm going to move on to the next concept. So as he built each of these small concepts together, like the summation of the whole thing actually like fulfills the feature, right? So there's also that benefit. It, it, it actually enables you to sort of understand the beast of the feature that is in front of you. So that's also another point I wanted to touch. No, I think it's uh, to build on what you said, uh, Kent Beck, uh, I forgot the name of the book that he wrote. It's the seminal work for TDD. It yeah. might just be called Test Driven Development. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it on my bookshelf somewhere. It's, <laughs> uh, it's a great book and covers exactly everything that you said there. One 
One thing, uh, a humongous side effect that you're going to get from TDD, and you'll hear this from a lot of people that, that promote TDD, is it's actually going to help you design your system better because what you'll notice is depending upon what language you're using, uh, you're not going to be able to test something sometimes, especially if you're going to go down the unit testing route, which is mm-hmm. where you don't want your test hitting a database or you don't want it hitting the network. You kind of want it to run fast in a known uh, state. So you want to be able to uh, react to that. And so what you will end up find, finding, especially with statically typed languages such as Java, .NET, et cetera, is that maybe you have actually tightly coupled everything together and you've, you're creating new instances of your classes inside of maybe the activity or maybe even inside of another like layer of your application. Mm-hmm. And when you try to test that, all of a sudden you realize that, wow, when I hit this this part of my application to test it, now it's going to reach out to the database mm-hmm. and or it's going to reach out to the file system and then it's going to lock us in there. And so what, you know, when you start writing these, when you start writing uh, test-driven, using code, using test-driven development, you'll find that, hey, I need to be able to break that dependency because I don't want it going to the file system. And it helps you start designing your software better and start introducing uh, things like interfaces and then you start implementing interfaces. And then before you know it, you're starting to to figure out a way, hey, I need a better way to do this testing. And maybe I need to do that with maybe a dependency injection container like Dagger or another one that's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole bunch of ways uh, that you can start seeing, or actually you'll run right into these walls head first initially when you're trying to do TDD. Uh, and to kind of further the, the to, to kind of further what Kent Beck has kind of written and proclaimed over the years, um, and to, to further solidify it, is there is a book out there uh, that's by Michael Feathers, and the book is called Working Effectively with Legacy Code. And this book is great because inside of the book, there's a kind of, a, I'm going to kind of mess up the quote, but basically what he says is, think of your, your code as a huge ocean, and you need to, to figure out how to stay safe on that ocean. And usually to stay safe on an ocean, it's, do you want to stay on land? <laughs> and what he says is, think of tests as little islands of safety that you can get to. So the more tests you have, the bigger you know, spread of land that you're gonna be able to have. And basically what he's saying is that tests uh, show you that something is working as you expect it. But the great thing about this book is that the, the, the topics and the, chi- the chapter titles are really on point because they say things like, uh, I have a method or I have a class that I need to change and I don't know what to do because I'm afraid I'm gonna break it. Like these are the titles of the chapters. And you hop in there and he actually talks about, all right, great. Well, it looks like you're in this weird scenario where uh, you don't know how to change this humongous class because it's gonna break the entire application. So, all right, let's wrap this you know crazy functional test around it to see if it's gonna work, okay? It does what we expect it to do. Now let's break this dependency. And then he you know, introduces like a shim where he basically pulls an interface out or something like that. It says, all right, now let's run that functional test again. Again, we're kind of following this you know, test-driven development, okay, it still works or it's broken, okay, let's hop back in there and fix it. And so um, that's a great book if you are in a scenario, which a lot of developers are now since Android's a few years older, uh, where you're kind of walking into a company and you're given an application uh, that's been written by one, two, 10, 15 developers already, and you see that it's just full of spaghetti code or just, you look at the class and you're like, I don't want to touch this, I'm afraid I'm going to break everything, uh, or I don't know how to change it, or I don't know what to do here. That's a great book to just leave on your shelf because you're going to run into those scenarios. Open that book up, crack it open. Uh, there's diagrams and explains exactly how you can use testing to kind of break these dependencies and to get your application under test so you can start making changes and feel more confident moving forward developing your application. Right. Some real-time follow-up. Uh, basically, 
the the book uh, on yeah like you said ken peck the book is basically test driven development by example and yes that's it and you got the michael feathers one correctly it's working effectively with legacy code yeah that's it exactly so, so let's talk a little bit about testing in android um so i think there's a couple yeah. of, there's a couple of talks out there that um Oh yeah, I I just want to like add this in. Like when I started, I remember like so when I was in this state of being lost and not knowing like how to even like go about doing anything, I actually ran into your talk. Uh, I think you were supposed to give a talk, uh, but then you recorded it as a screencast. Uh, so I'll add this also to the show notes. It's basically a talk that Don gave, and it's called Android from the Trenches. That is an amazing talk. I mean, like no joke. I mean, he talks about like all aspects of. Uh, how he wrote like when you wrote the first versions of like groupon and my fitness pal and as it scaled up in the play store how how you handled that and like what you use it's a fantastic talk at any point like if if you're an android developer and you haven't seen this definitely go see this well thank you thank you <laughs> <laughs> that's one talk the other one was uh, is actually by uh, michael bailey he goes by uh, the name yogurt earl on twitter I actually have to ask him about that. That is a very interesting name, Yogurt Earl. <laughs> so in any case, the talk that he gave, uh, this is, I believe, at GTAC uh, 2014. Again, we'll add a link to that in the show notes. It's basically called Espresso, Spoon, and Wiremark. These are basically two videos that I had really wished I had like early on when I started, like because that would just have made it easy to sort of like understand like the existing state of or the existing conditions of the testing platform in android so those are two really good talks the the talk that i gave for uh, android on trenches that was supposed to be given at the uh, philly emerging tech of april of last year and i uh, got a sickness and couldn't make it and so i i didn't want the attendees to to miss out so i uh, I did record it and just uploaded it and uh, gave it to them, and they actually published it to Vimeo to share with everybody. So thanks to the Philly Emerging Tech guys for doing that. That's great. And uh, Michael Bailey, he's actually uh, out here in Arizona, and I think that's important to note. I didn't bring that up in the About section. Is that I'm actually in Arizona. I work remotely for all my clients in the Silicon Valley, and I kind of visit every couple of months. Uh, Michael Bailey is actually out here too. He uh, he is the Android manager for American Express. And so he is a constant visitor to the uh, PHX Android uh, Google Group, uh, and he gave us this talk here uh, in person, and it was a fantastic talk. He's actually the guy that got me into uh, to really look into Espresso and uh, to check it out. And he's doing some really cool stuff with Wiremock. Uh, he has made it so he can actually uh, basically get HTTP requests uh, kind of recorded and played back in real time how he expects them and wants them to be. Um, pretty cool stuff, so definitely check out check out that talk. Now, there's a bunch of classes in Android for testing, uh, so I think it's good that we should probably hop in and uh, talk about these. And seeing that you're so sure. passionate about the testing, <laughs> Kaushik, would you mind yeah. talking a little bit about some of the test case oh, test yeah. classes? Sure, sure. So basically, when you want to start out with testing, there's this like document. It's called the te- it's in the Android official dev- uh, developer docs. It's called Testing Fundamentals, and there they actually list out some of these cases. So again, these classes are actually in the framework. This is by Google. This isn't like another third party thing that was developed. Like most of these things exist already. like in the google framework but you have to understand when to use and what to use and 
if at all to use them. The first one is basically test case. So it's simply called test case. And this is like a very basal sort of class in the testing framework, right? So Android in itself, like when you want to write tests, they provide this class called test case. It's, ba it's based on JUnit 3. And whenever you have sort of code that doesn't call out to any Android API, it doesn't touch any of the Android specific sort of uh, components, then you would, at least they recommend that you use test case. I do not recommend that you use test case. Definitely don't be using test case because it is super slow. And this yes. is, it is like amazingly slow. And the reason it's slow is because up until now, and there's a recent development, so like we'll probably go about that uh, towards the end, but up until very recently, like last week, test cases basically would run on the device. So the way it works is anytime you write your tests, there's a test APK that's sort of built, and along with your actual APK, the test APK is deployed onto your device, and then the test is run on that device. So that's basic. So it basically does take time, even if you're making small changes to your test, like every time you hit run on those tests is going to take a long time. There is a way to avoid this, especially if you don't touch any of the Android APIs. Uh, you should be, we'll get into that a little later. So test case is the most basic thing. Don't use test case. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to agree with you there. Yeah. The next one is Android test case. Again, like Google has this, uh, like as much as we love them, oh man, they're naming. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> they're naming, it just like totally gets you. There's this other thing called Android test case. So Android test case is great. And this is, if you start out, usually you want to be using Android test case. If you have basic kind of stuff that you want to test, uh, one advantage with using Android test case is like you can talk to the Android API. So many times you might think that, hey, I would want to get hold of a resources object because you might have uh, in your string resources file, you might have a string and you want to like, for some reason you want to write a test that basically checks that 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 is actually shown at the right point. You can use Android test case. Uh, you can get hold of like get resources and then get uh, resources and then get the string reference from there on. So Android test case is, especially if you're like trying to test the waters and like sort of get into testing, Android test case is primarily what you should be using. Exactly. Uh, there's also another one called activity unit test case. Now I've I've personally not used this too much, but I it is there in the developer docs. And basically, the I believe the intention with activity unit test case is if you want to test a single activity, but in isolation, right? Like so, you can test typically in an application. You would move from maybe activity A to activity B to activity C. If you want to test only activity A in isolation and sort of like block off everything else. I believe activity unit test case is what you would uh, want to use. It helps test things like, oh, is the layout of the activity correct? Are there any isolated isolated methods within the activity that you want to test? Uh, it helps with those kind of things. Uh, the other one, and this is actually pretty, uh, this is like an important one. It's called activity instrumentation test case. Uh, I don't know where activity instrumentation test case one went, but uh, there's only an activity instrumentation test case two. Uh, more uh, more lately, I I don't think I've used these directly, but a lot of the third-party frameworks that you have out there, like we we talked about Espresso. 
espresso is uh, i mean that i personally use espresso uh, right now i really like uh, the testing framework espresso i believe it's built on activity instrumentation test case too like most of the things you would actually have to extend activity instrumentation test case to to go ahead with your uh, espresso testing so what exactly it is it's if you want a more ui like uh, sort of testing so if you want to like emulate a user behavior then you would use activity instrumentation test case too uh it allows it's a little different from a complete black box sort of uh, ui testing in that uh, i know like a uh, espresso is usually called like a gray box kind of framework and that's because you actually do get access to the internals now if you were doing a pure sort of ui testing you don't really get access to the internals so if you wanted to access like maybe a details page that requires like an authentication to happen then uh, you basically have to uh, first sort of get into activity a and then enter the login the, the authentication credentials and then move to activity b having a framework like activity instrumentation test case 2 sort of allows you to sort of like dissect or sort of surgically enter in at a point so it it helps with the speed of tests uh the next is espresso don would you like to sort of take us in with espresso and like give us a little more details beyond what yeah it's espresso uh you know again i'm not a uh I'm, i wouldn't say that i'm a testing expert in android by any means but espresso is a basically a newer ui testing tool by the folks over at google uh, and again, we'll provide links to to all these different uh, test cases and, and libraries. Um, when Espresso first came out, and it seemed it still seems to be the case, is that the documentation was kind of rather rather poor. Um, there wasn't really any Gradle support. Uh, Jake Warden had built the uh, Double Espresso library uh, that you could pull in to use inside of Android Studio. Um, now things have improved, but Espresso is again used for UI testing. The nice thing about Espresso, though, is that there's a very fluent syntax to it. And so when you're writing your test case, uh, you're going to perhaps uh, extend activity information test case to, or, and I have an alternative for that in a moment. You can write very fluid tests such as on view with ID r dot ID dot you know first name uh, dot matches view assertions uh, is displayed. And so basically, I'm just fluidly, you can kind of listen to that and it makes sense of what I'm saying. I want to make sure that this view with this ID is displayed on the screen. And so there's all these uh, assert, these view matchers uh, and then there's these uh, view checker, there's these um, assertions you can perform on these view matchers and so forth. Uh, so that you can actually write very fluid tests inside of Espresso. And when you read the test, it really makes sense. Uh, what's also nice is that you can connect it directly into uh, the data inside of adapters so you can actually read inside of like list adapters and make sure that uh, when you're displaying a list of data the items inside of the list uh, are exactly how they should be now originally like I said that the there was no Gradle support for it uh, but now recently with Espresso 2.0 you can pull it in directly with Gradle and just last night I was recording a screencast uh, for testing with Espresso that I'm doing for caster.io and that um, it's interesting because a lot of people on Stack Overflow and a lot of uh, people on Twitter are having problems getting this to work because, it, again, the documentation isn't quite up to snuff of where it should be. And so you kind of have to look inside of the web page to kind of get the basic component going. And then you have to look inside of the notes on side of the uh, below the web page where people are providing documents. And they have to hop over to Stack Overflow. 
and, and see what people are having. And the big problem that people are having right now is that when they run these tests, they're getting these exceptions saying class can't be found or no tests loaded, et cetera. And basically what this comes down to is you need to set the, the default instrumentation test runner inside of the Gradle file. And then also, if you're running your tests inside of Android Studio, you need to set it up inside of your edit, your run configuration for your Android test. You need to specify the test runner inside of there too. Once you set it in both locations, it will work on your build machine, uh, such as Jenkins or CircleCI or Travis or whatever. It'll also work on your local build environment. Um, the nice thing about this though, as it just makes sense when you read it. And what really kind of made everything click for me is when I found the Espresso cheat sheet, which I will put in the show notes. Uh, the cheat sheet is just a visual document that provides uh, a list of view matchers and view assertions and so forth, where you can actually see color-coded, all right, now if I can use on view with ID or on view with text, I can match it, I can make sure the text equals this, or on data, meaning for like a list adapter or something that the data is in there that uh, I'm getting all the items that I need or a particular item looks how I would like it to look. So it's very fluid. Uh, it's probably one of the better, uh, probably the best testing framework so far that's come out directly targeted for uh, Android. And it's the one that I probably have the most experience with. Because uh, before that, I was either using test case to kind of just pull that an activity is working and check a few things, or I was kind of working with RoboElectric, which we'll cover in a few moments. So the next one is UI Automator. I actually haven't used UI Automator too much. Have you used it a lot, uh, Don? No, I haven't. And the QA guys that I, I worked with at MyFitnessPal, uh, they tried to use it and they said that it, it just felt too clunky to them and they decided to use a different tool. They actually ended up using uh, Appium.io, which ah, is okay. like Selenium style. Uh, they could write tests in like a Selenium style thing, but mm -hmm. uh, I've never used UI Automator uh, myself. Yeah, so what I've heard about UI Automator from the online chatter on the internet is basically the, like you said, the API is definitely not as nice as Espresso. But one problem with Espresso is that assuming you have, uh, now in Android, like it's, it's pretty common to sort of launch external activities, right? So basically activities that aren't in the same uh, package as yours, like assuming there's like a Facebook activity or like, uh, I don't know, there's like an Instagram sort of, uh, activity that you launch in order to use some of the functionality that exists outside. Or another pretty common case is if you want to use the camera, like more often than not, you would launch like the default camera app to take pictures within your app. These sort of things, I, uh, as I understand, is not possible with Espresso because the minute you exit your own application, it's sort of like uh, it either terminates or it doesn't allow you to do that. UI Automator allows that. And so that's like actually a very big benefit. Like if you really want to sort of emulate a user behavior, go through the whole process. And if you have web views, web views is another thing which I believe isn't yet in Espresso. I believe it is coming, but web view is another problem. Like if you have web views inside your application, then it makes it very difficult to actually test with Espresso. So UI Automator sort of like uh, helps with some of those things, uh, but I actually haven't used it. And because the API is not pleasant, it goes back to like what we said initially. If it's not very pleasant to use, then developers are not going to be too enthused to sort of like write more tests. Exactly. I think a good caveat to, to mention here too is if anyone from the Android team uh, happens, to be listening, happens to be listening or anyone who knows anything additional that 
uh, that we maybe have not mentioned about any of these classes or libraries, please feel free to to hop into the show notes uh, at fragmentedpodcast.com uh, and just you know type in some notes if you see something that you either think could be done differently or better. Uh, we'd love to love to hear from you in regards to the testing stuff there. But that doesn't wrap it up for testing. We also have um, uh, Monkey and uh, Monkey Runner essentially, uh, and it's a basically a, a little application that uh, performs you know at a high level random uh, clicks all over your application uh, at a uh, certain number of events you can throw at the application. And so I have a little story for this is when we were at Groupon, uh, when I was at Groupon, uh, we were trying to get our application pre-installed into a device overseas. I think it was in Germany, if I remember correctly. And in order to do that, we needed to, at the time, this is 2011, we needed to make sure our application could handle 20,000 events thrown at it. And so uh, we just fired up the monkey runner, uh, and we thought our application was good. We passed all of our all of our unit tests, passed our QA department. But as soon as we turned on monkey and we threw twenty thousand events at it, literally we got to like event seven hundred and it crashed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so basically, monkey just throws a random series of UI events on it. You can run it on your emulator, your device, etc., and fire it against your application. Provide a package name. It'll open the app and just start doing all kinds of crazy things like pulling down the status bar. It'll turn up and down the volume, hit random buttons, swipes up, down, left, right, uh, and just kind of goes crazy on your app just to see if it's going to crash. Uh, and you'd be surprised of uh, the types of crashes that you see happening from Monkey. Have you experienced any of that stuff at all? So, yeah, I mean, uh, again, like I don't have my setup like perfectly set uh, like in place for Monkey, but I have used Monkey before on some apps. and. It's amazing, and precisely for the reason that you, it just goes buck wild on your app, right? And then, like, invariably, you'll find things because when you develop something, and I've noticed it, and that's why I'm horrible at QAing stuff because, like, if I know how something works, like, my finger will automatically sort of like point to the things that are supposed to happen, the most happy path that you can possibly imagine. Like, my yeah. fingers will automatically just go there, and if I even see someone, I'm like, no, no, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> So I'm definitely not uh, the best QA. And for that, Monkey is amazing because Monkey will just like anything and everything that it can possibly do. It just like, it'll go. I'm actually curious how it would work. It seems like a very interesting thing, like how Monkey actually works. In case people didn't catch that, uh, Monkey and actually Monkey Runner are like different things. They're not the same thing. Monkey, like, so what Don uh, and I were mentioning about the thing going uh, crazy on your app, that's Monkey. Monkey Runner is... I guess this is also from Google. I'm not really sure about this, but it it essentially just like provides an API for you to write your test programs. And it's based on uh, this combination of Java and Python, Jython, basically. So I've not used Monkey Runner like directly. So I guess some other frameworks like use it internally, but yeah. Yeah, it's, there's a, uh, I think I had seen one script out there to help run uh, part of Monkey uh, through uh, monkey runner and it was a, uh, a jython script mm-hmm. um before we get uh, into uh, the JUnit 4 stuff uh, that we're going to cover here in a second i forgot to mention something in the espresso area and espresso when you're extending activity instrument instrumentation instrumentation <laughs> test case two um let's be honest that uh as kashik said the the naming structure is terrible uh it doesn't look good um luckily uh, the prolific Jake Wharton again has created a JUnit rule, uh, which is kind of like a hook into the JUnit platform, 
where you can just use this JUnit rule called an activity rule that he's created. So you do not have to extend activity instrumentation test case two. I'll put this in the show notes. Uh, it's a gist that he's created. And basically what it does is it will launch an activity when your test starts. And so you ha- then you can stop extending the activity instrument- instrumentation test case too. Um, it, it's nice because then you can just use the JUnit 4 test runner inside of your expression, your side of your, uh, your test suite for Espresso. Uh, and then it just kind of cleans it up a little bit, makes it look a little bit better. So that's something to keep in mind. Check out the show notes if you're inter- interested in activity rule. Nice. Uh, so the next thing is initially when I started out, I said, uh, don't use test case. So then the obvious question is, what do you use? So I remember initially I'd gone to a talk. Uh, this was by the folks at the dev- uh, the developer tools team at Google. I remember going to a talk there and then I actually literally was like sort of hounding them and I was like, oh, how do I do this? Why is it so slow? I don't even, I mean, I want basic Java stuff. And they're like, why don't you just use a pure Java sub-module? I'm like, oh, what is that? <laughs> and that changed my life. Uh, so essentially what you can do is, you know how in an Android app, you have the app directory, which contains most of your code? Yeah. Just how uh, you have an app directory, you can also have, if you go to Android Studio, right-click and hit new, there's also basically a Java project. So it's a pure Java project. And the way it works is, it's almost like creating an independent library. So typically what I do is if I have uh, if I have code that doesn't talk to a- any Android API, uh, and essentially that's always what I try to do. I try to stick away from the Android framework simply because it makes testing both easy and faster. So you create a new independent Java sub-module and you can, and this thing coexists with your application, but it's on its own little island there. So when you write tests, like when you write tests there, you can write JUnit 4 tests. And those things, because they run on the JVM and not on the device, they run super fast. So if you really wanted to get into doing TDD, which is like test-driven development, one important thing is you need a quick feedback loop. And this sort of enables that. So when you have JUnit 4 uh, tests in this pure Java sub-module, it really enables that. I mean, you can also do it with JUnit 3, but JUnit 4 is just much more nicer. It gives you the nice annotations and stuff. So, yeah, JUnit 4 is much better, much better. <laughs> yeah, so I typically, when I do most of the unit tests that I write, I always try to like stick to this sort of approach where you have the pure Java submodules. A very recent development is, this is like almost like a week back. The amazing folks again at the tools, Android, uh, tools team they the gradle plugin there's a newer version of the gradle plugin which is 1.4 i don't remember the release candidate i think it's either three or four so it's uh, the gradle plugin 1.1 they have actually added first party support to unit testing inside of your app so this approach that i was saying that you have to create a sort of new independent pure java submodule on the side you can actually have that inside your app directory so that I so, and you can basically run stuff directly on the JVM, so it makes it much faster. So that's a very recent development. Again, it doesn't like change things completely for me, and this is, and this is my understanding. I don't think you can actually do any UI stuff still. There isn't first-party support for any like UI kind of tests. So, if you have any UI uh, kind of testing that goes on in your app then that's still going to be running on the device and so it's still going to be slow. But it's definitely a step in the right direction and hopefully we probably would get something 
along the lines of robo electric but much better and uh, supported by the folks over at Google yeah exactly i think that uh, if if i'm not mistaken i think the recent release which is in the beta channel of android studio 1.0.4 uh, if you install that, I think you'll have access to this that new uh, Gradle plugin stuff that you can use inside of Android Studio, like you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the uh, the other thing that that I wanted to talk about too is also um, something called Assert J and uh, Fest. And so Assert J are just fluent assertions for Java. Uh, if you're used to JUnit, you're saying, uh, you know, assert equal and so forth. You're kind of used to that syntax. The fluent assertions make things a little more readable. And I like fluent things as much as possible, which is one reason why I kind of like Espresso. Now, the fluent assertions uh, called assert J um, have some very cool things. For example, you can say assert that customer.first name is equal to Don. Assert that customer.orders. Uh, has, you know, this many items inside of it. Uh, assert that this list has size 10 and contains this element but does not contain this other element. And so it's very nice. I'll put that in the show notes. It's a very nice thing to, to do there. And now the guys over at uh, Square have also created some additions to um, the assertions. So you can actually work with Android JUnit style assertions. And so you'd say something like with the Android uh, Intense or you can take a look inside of the bundles. And it makes it a lot more fluent uh, for your testing. So you're making your assertions. So we'll put the Put the links in there. You can check that out if you're interested. It's pretty easy to add to your, your project just through the Gradle files. Yeah. Assert J and Fest, definitely highly recommend them. I use them even for my basic tests because uh, another very nice advantage to using that is, like like Don was saying, it's a very fluent interface. But uh, because Java is a compile time language, so if you have like assert that and then you have your method name dot is equal to, it automatically, it's it sort of like, in your IDE, it pops up the right kind of, uh, so if it was an integer, then it's going to ask you for an integer value. If it's uh, a different custom object that you have, then it recognizes that probably what you, what you want to be asserting is uh, an equivalent object. So that's, again, a very nice addition that you have. Uh, it was, so assert J was pre, so, oh no, it wasn't previously called, actually. There was this thing called FEST uh, assertions, which is basically what started it off. Uh, I believe Assert J was a spin-off because the Fest J, uh, I think the framework wasn't move, moving fast enough. So a couple of people said, hey, we're going to like have this thing called Assert J and it's going to like move at a much more rapid pace. They release more changes. So I guess Assert J is like sort of like the new and improved uh, Fest. So Exactly. Yeah, that, I think that's exactly what happened from from the reading that I had as well. And you you'll see that the Square guys used to call it, I think they used to call it Fest Android, and they even renamed it to Assert J Android as well. And so those are pretty nice. And like I said, they're, they're, uh, they have ones like, for example, say assert that this view is gone or assert that right. this, <laughs> this view is visible. And so it makes it very readable. I mean, those guys at Square, they're doing some good stuff, man. Very, very <laughs> prolific. Uh, yeah. To tell you the truth, it's uh, amazing. And um, that's, it's, it's, I'm glad that you brought that up. Is that The guys at Squares are doing a ton of great stuff. They've created the dependency injection framework Dagger, which I'm sure we'll talk about on the show uh, at a later time. Now, Espresso, the new version 2.0, inside of the core module, there's actually, they use Dagger inside of, of Espresso, for those of you that don't know. Now, this is, this is important to note because if you use Dagger inside of your regular application and then you pull in an Espresso, there is a high probability that you're going to get a class not found exception when you try to run your tests. And the reason for this is there's a conflict, uh, and I'm just going 30,000 foot 
you know, <laughs> level view here. There's a conflict down below with uh, the Java X um, library, and that's with uh, the inject, I believe, a search. Uh, Java X inject is what the problem is. And what you do is you just need to add an exclusion uh, for that inside of your your Gradle build. And we'll put the link again into the show notes for this. Uh, I ran into this exact issue. Um, if you're not using Dagger, you're probably never going to run into this issue. But if you are using Dagger, you may run into a class not found problem. You'll need to add that except the exclusion in the Gradle dependency uh, for Espresso. Right. So again, that's amazing that the guys at, uh, at Square have built this dependency injection container that's now being managed pretty much by Google. But again, we'll talk about that at a later time. Yeah. And also like with Gradle, like the exclusion thing you mentioned, that's like really powerful. So probably in a later episode, we'll go into like trying to use Gradle the right way and like some of the tips and tricks that you can do with it. Exactly. All right, so there's a couple other things uh, we'll just kind of uh, spend some a few moments on is uh, there's other testing that's available out there. One is that people are probably wondering why we haven't talked about yet is RoboElectric. And right. so I'm not an expert inside of RoboElectric, so please forgive me if I uh, botch any of this up. But uh, in the time that I've spent with it, uh, we know that RoboElectric, or excuse me, tests in general on Android are slow. We've already discussed that. Uh, we have to build, deploy, wait, uh, hurry up and wait syndrome. We've all seen the XKCD um, picture where it says, you know, back to work, and this shows the two stick figure sword fighting. It says can't test, you know, code's compiling or something like that. Uh, that seems to be the case when you're running Android test code. And so uh, RoboElectric basically uh, creates this, you know, virtual little um, Android environment that uh, doesn't run uh, on actual, you know, on the Android platform. Mm-hmm. And basically, in a high level, again, allows you to run your tests much quicker. Uh, and if you hop into the source code, what you'll see is they pretty much they've tried to recreate Android uh, at you know at the you know compilation level, so you can you can perform these tests a lot faster. The one issue, uh, probably the biggest issue that I have with RoboElectric is is that when it works, it's awesome. It's great. Uh, you can do a ton of stuff with it, but when it doesn't work, everything falls apart, and then you, you're you're spent you know the next hour, day, two days, a week going down this crazy rabbit hole trying to figure out how to make it do what you want with some crazy shadow classes. Maybe they exist, maybe they don't exist. So uh, it might be worth taking a look at. Have you worked with it, Kashik? Uh So I have worked with it independently, but again, I quickly dropped RoboElectric, and the reason I dropped RoboElectric was simply because uh, at the time I was trying to make it work with Espresso and I simply, like you said, I couldn't for the life of me get both of them working together. Like having RoboElectric and Espresso in the same project was almost impossible. Now I know there are like a couple of plugins that sort of like help with this, but I have just not had enough luck with it. So I had like another project where I was like trying to test RoboElectric alone and that worked, like you said, it worked amazing. When I had no other sort of like complications with in terms of the setup, it worked really well, the tests were fast, and that worked well. But the minute I had Espresso come in, I just simply couldn't like use the two together. And I like using Espresso also because it's backed by Google, so I hope and I trust that it'll be taken care of. Like you said, essentially what RoboElectric does is that it re-implements almost like the Android framework, right? So invariably they're almost gonna be like a step behind like the latest Android framework, just because it's like, I mean, Google, Builds Android, right? And the uh, RoboElectric, uh, RoboElectric, is built by the folks at Pivotal Labs, and mm-hmm. uh, they're also really amazing consultant developers. But the thing is, because they're a different company, they're always going to be a step behind uh, in terms of trying to imp- implement every single 
uh, shadow class, like you said. So I'm I've basically I don't use Robo Electric anymore in my current projects. Exactly. And so we uh, there's there's Espresso, like we said, Espresso that you can do the UI automation. And one bef- before Espresso came around, a lot of people were using Robotium. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Robotium? Yeah, sure. So Robot uh, we use Robotium initially as well, and Robotium is very similar to espresso in that it is like it's it is a ui based framework so you can do things like launch uh what was it called it was called solo activity or something yes solo that. yes yeah. <laughs> yeah so you can basically say launch this activity click this button here click this button there and then move on to the next thing so for it at its time it was amazing because like espresso wasn't there then so you never had something as nice uh in terms of the ui testing uh, APIs, but Robotium, I mean, with Espresso, again, this is only my personal sort of uh, opinion. With Espresso now going, I don't use Robotium anymore because uh, Espresso has a nicer uh, interface. One important thing that we didn't touch about in Espresso, but if you see the talks that I linked to, it's uh, it's gone, uh, like uh, Michael Bailey's gone into detail about it. Espresso, the advantage is it understands, so one big problem with tests is flakiness especially ui tests right so if you have uh, if you have a network call in between that's executed in your code and it takes like a couple of seconds now the problem with a network call is it could take 1 second it could take 2 seconds it could take 3 seconds so when you have your tests typically because it's executed on a different thread it's hard for like your test runner to understand that so typically what people would do is they would have like a thread sleep there Thread sleep is usually a bad idea because you're forcing your tests to be that much slower. If you put thread sleep for four seconds, your tests can never be faster than uh, four seconds because that's like a limiting factor. So that was one huge problem with Robotium. Espresso gets around this uh, by you by understanding understanding that like, hey, there's like a network call going on in the background that I'm supposed to be waiting for this guy. And the minute it comes back, it then resumes. So that's another huge advantage with Espresso. So just these sort of like advantages that sort of like uh, came in with Espresso. Again, I decided to switch from Robotium to Espresso. But Robotium for what for, for its time, it was an amazing tool, I must say. Yeah, and Michael Bailey's talk covers that uh, in great detail. So definitely take a look at that. He'll talk quite a bit about... Uh, basically the weight patterns and so forth like that and how Espresso handles that stuff. Right. So one of the other things that we were going to talk about here is uh, is Makito. Are we ready to hop into that? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay. So Makito is uh, not specifically directly targeted towards Android. It just happens to be something we can use with Java for testing. And Makito is a Mox and Stubbs framework. For those of you not familiar with Mox and Stubbs, um, they're two different things. Uh, mocks basically we're testing, uh, validating that behavior happened. Uh, so we want to make sure that uh, the interactions between classes are what we expect them to be. And stubs uh, are perhaps just you know values are getting a return of the particular uh, result is getting returned that we would like. So uh, when customer's first name is returned, it returns Don, and then when the last name returns, it returns Felker. Uh, as regards to mocks, we want to make sure that the customer class uh, actually talked to the order class, and then a particular method was called. And if it was not called, then I would like to throw an exception in the test to make sure we can do that. And so uh, Makito allows us to create these mocks and the stubs. If you're using proper, uh, you know, breaking all of your dependencies apart with interfaces and so forth, um, you can really do some pretty powerful stuff with Makito. 
You can actually start mocking out the interfaces, uh, providing uh, expectations of what you should expect to happen. So you can break apart those dependencies uh, like I had spoken before uh, with the file system, with the databases, the remote calls. You can break those dependencies apart, uh, use the interfaces, create these expectations saying, hey, when I go hit the API and I'm going to return a list of customers, I just want you to return me these two customers that I've kind of mocked up that I know exactly are the right ones. Uh, And then at that time, when the test is executed, it'll be in a particular format. And so what you'll notice uh, with a lot of testing in other languages too, some people happen to follow a a AAA uh, type of pattern, and it's basically the arrange, act, assert pattern. And so at the top, you kind of arrange your test. And so you're setting up everything for the test. Like I expect that this interface that we've set up with Makito is going to return these two customers. I'm going to perform the act, which is actually performing what I, um, I want to do. So customer class dot get orders, that's going to do perform the actual uh, exercise of the code. And then assert, where we put the assertions where you're doing your J unit or your assert J assertions and so forth. But Makito allows us to help create those interactions, create the values, and basically set up our tests, arrange our tests so that they are in the state in which we expect them to be. So when we write the test, we can uh, make sure that we're testing the right thing at the right time. Yeah, Makito is amazing. Uh, Like you said, if you have your dependencies in order, Makito is just so helpful because you can quickly sort of emulate different kinds of cases, right? Like you said, you have a list of two customers. What if you had four customers? What if you had five customers, but out of that, two of uh, the customers were of a different type. Those things just make it super easy, like quickly get in and test various cases. Completely agree. So I think that kind of wraps it up for the, the testing component. Did we miss anything? I don't think so, but if we did, then people should definitely send us feedback and suggestions and we'll try to hop in and like touch upon those things. I Excellent, guess. I to- totally agree. So we're gonna, I usually try to wrap up the show with some recommendations or some awesome things that we've found uh, on the web relating to Android development or just something that we may f- figure out or we may see that helps you on a day-to-day uh, level in uh, being a developer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll go ahead and go first. One of the things that that uh, that I've seen before and uh, have, uh, have currently used is a something called a device lab, and it's basically a storage stand for devices. Uh, this is a link you'll see in the show notes here. And it's a little device that's probably about, I don't know, seven, eight inches across and about a foot tall. And you can probably put anywhere from four to six uh, phones on that device. Uh, and you can, it sits up on a stand. And it's really nice if you use something like Spoon, uh, which we really didn't cover here, but Spoon kind of helps automate some of the testing um, uh, across various different devices, take screenshots and so forth. Uh, and so if you're running that or you're just running your test against a suite of devices, uh, it'll actually run them right there, and you can have it on your desk, and you can just see all the devices there. You can also just use it if you just are deploying to various different devices. Uh, so you can load up uh, a tablet, and right next to it you might have a phone, and right next to that you might have like a small TV-sized uh, phone that maybe is popular in, in one particular part of the world. Uh, and it's uh, pretty nice to use uh, so you don't have a huge clutter of wires, a clutter of phones all over your desk. You can use your most popular devices right there. One note though, if you're using something like Spoon, which is where you're automating all of your tests across various different devices, getting screenshots, as you know, phones can get hot. (laughs) Uh, The phones attached to the back of uh, the device lab with just kind of a sticky Velcro piece. Uh, And what will happen if the phone gets too hot and you have the Velcro where it gets hot, sometimes (laughs) the glue can kind of slowly melt. So you're running your tests, it takes half an hour to run your humongous test suite. You go get a sandwich or some coffee. You might come back and see your one of your phones or a couple of phones laying down on the front of the uh, uh, on your desk. So it doesn't happen often. Uh, maybe get some stickier or more high power uh, Velcro, 
<laughs> uh, glue, but that's just something to be aware of. Such a good idea, though. I mean, I love the idea. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So my recommendation for the week is actually a font, two fonts. So this is something like if you keep staring at your IDE all long, all day long, you want to make sure you have like a really nice font going on there. The first font that I want to recommend is basically Inconsolata-DZ. Uh, again, we'll put the link to the show notes. The interesting thing with this is I used this font before, but in the earlier versions of Android Studio or any IntelliJ idea uh, editor for that matter, Inconsolata didn't really work well, but I noticed like maybe two or three weeks back it started working and I've been super happy because it's just a very nice font, uh, especially for development. It very clearly differentiates uh, between things like L, uh, the alphabet L, capital L, I, capital I, zero, O, all these things. It it very clearly uh, sort of points out the differences. Incidentally, it's also a font built by someone who currently works at Google. Uh, So that's a nice uh, font. Other than that, the other font that I used to use uh, when in Consolata didn't work was this one called Consolas. Consolas is also a very nice font. It's I think it was built by the folks over at Microsoft. So if you happen to have installed uh, the Office Suite, uh, Microsoft Office Suite, then this font comes for free. I I remember uh, I used this text editor on the Mac called BB Edit. It's a very, it's one of the oldest text editors. It's an amazing text editor. I don't use it anymore, but I, when I did purchase a BB Edit, it came with a custom version of this font called Consolas for BB Edit. So two fonts, amazing fonts, definitely use them. You'll like it. Great. Exactly. I use Consolas for, I don't know how many, many, many years. And so I can definitely agree with that one. I'll have to try in Consolata though. I haven't tried that one yet. Okay, I think it's about time to wrap up this show. Uh, you can find the show notes for this episode at fragmentedpodcast.com. Um, again, again, that's fragmentedpodcast.com. In the show notes, you'll find uh, the links to all the things we talk about during the show. Uh, links to our awesome picks can also be found here in the show notes as well. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this episode, go ahead and send us a tweet at hashtag fragmentedpodcast. We eagerly look forward to your feedback, and I'm making this show a lot better. So if you have any comments, suggestions, anything, please let us know. If you want to reach out to one of us, um, what's the best way to reach you, Kaushik? Sure. So my Twitter handle is Kaushik Gopal. That's my whole name. K-A-U-S-H-I-K-G-O-P-A-L. So definitely send me a tweet with the hashtag and we'll definitely get back to that. If you want to see some of the stuff that I've done online, obviously my GitHub repository with that same name, Kaushik Gopal, is probably where you want to look. Uh, Like I mentioned in the show, if you want to see some of the technical blog posts that I've written, it's nerds.weddingpartyapp.com. So you can reach me there. Love that URL. And to reach me, you can reach me at my Twitter handle at Don Felker. That's D-O-N-N-F-E-L-K-E-R. So just remember the two N's on Don and you should be good to go. Uh, Or you can read my blog, uh, which I cover technical, business, and personal items uh, at uh, www.donfelker.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. See ya.